Today I went to a dead mall. It was a little bit of a sad experience actually. I mean, it wasn't abandoned. There were some people in the bottom floors especially, but in the top floors is practically nothing there. There are some empty shop lots, some closed stalls and nothing happening basically. And there's like rubbish on the floor, uh, endless, endless em empty space and I kind of got carried away just taking videos and pictures until like my phone memory got a little bit too full. Anyhow, the reason for me telling this is because I'm gonna be editing, editing this pictures and videos that me and my friend took and then I'm gonna be uploading it on this channel. So if you're interested in that, uh, stay tuned. Um, I'm not sure when exactly it's gonna be uploaded, but I'll probably leave uh, this, uh, a link in the description here once it's uploaded. Uh, and the link in the description I mean on YouTube. I'm not sure how links in description on podcast platforms work because I, I kinda upload my podcast to Anchor and then I just let Anchor do it, handle it for me. But primarily, I I kind of focus on YouTube as a channel. But if you're listening to this on a podcast, you'll just be hearing me bl uh, blabber and ramble. But if you're watching this on YouTube, you're gonna be seeing a slideshow of liminal space photos and pictures and stuff and this and that. Uh, none of this, none of these photos. I think as of right now, I'm not gonna be using the photos that I use myself that I've taken myself. Sorry. I'm gonna be using like uh, pictures that I've taken from Reddit and uh, if there's Redditors want them taken down please do let me know if you can if you happen to come across a photo that I'm using that you you want to be credited for or something you know just yeah, just uh, contact me uh, anyhow last episode I kind of dragged it on this rambling segment on for a little bit too long that's what that was about 10 minutes so I'm gonna be keeping it in in line with at least at most sorry at most five minutes. So just uh, if you want to get straight to the story, just just skip ahead all the way to five minutes. And if you wanna, if you think my rambling is natural, as some people say, or if it's relaxing, then you can you can take this as part of the of the series as well. It is meant to be a background noise or a sleep series after all. Uh, the, the reason that I'm actually keeping this rambling segment in in the first place is because some people say that it seems more natural. So, I don't know. Yeah, I guess, I guess that's fine by me. I, I kinda enjoy, after doing this several times, I kinda enjoy actually rambling. Uh, uh, I've never. Re I'm not the kind of person who actually talks in the mirror, or talks even talks to myself actually. So uh, it's it's a little bit of a strange thing to do at first, but now that I'm getting a hang of it, it's kind of cool. In about two minutes, and I I think I'm gonna keep it at five minutes this time. I'm not gonna let it drag on for any more. In about two minutes, the story will start, and yeah. Uh, going back to the dead mall exploration video, it turns out that on the very top floor, there's a, it's called PUBG Live, 
It's like a sports thing. Um, it seems like the only happening thing there. And, and when uh, by happening, I don't really mean that there's much people there, but it looks pretty cool. And I'm interested to try it out. It's like uh, it's something like paintball or laser tag, except not like laser tag because it's got pain involved. Um, I'm I'm coming up to my five minutes, so I guess that's about it. Yep. Um, I, I'm just gonna end at this ran rambling segment right here and just let the story start right now. Episode six, tennis courts. Looking up at the window of his studio apartment, Anzo Bazan leans sideways against the lamppost and wonders how long he had been lingering outside here for. He had come downstairs just before sunrise and made a round around his apartment building. Then he sat on the sill of a glassless aperture in the dead unfinished building neighboring his apartment. He sat there until the night grew darker before going out to stand by the lamppost outside his studio apartment building entrance. Now he has been standing here for what seems like half an hour, though he cannot tell for sure. He has lost track of time a long time ago and cannot bother finding it again. He turns back around to face the grassland across the street and beyond the shallow downslope. In the foggy night he can barely see the small hill and a tree a distance away. He thinks back about when he was a teenager and had come across a particularly quirky empty house in a semi-empty neighborhood. Within the vicinity of that house, as far as he knew, there were only two houses that were occupied, although he had rarely seen the occupants of either house. On the rare occasion that he had caught glimpses of them, he had only caught slivers of their outlines. They very well could have just been ghosts in his head. This neighborhood was one that he usually walked across to get back home from school. It was one way out of three ways he knew how to head back home from. Typically, his teenage brain would be too fixed on youthful thoughts and ideas for him to be aware of his surroundings, which was why he was, wasn't much familiar with this row of houses. When he walked this neighborhood, his legs would move independently while his own attention would be elsewhere. When Enzo came across the house, though, he was putting conscious effort into being aware of his surroundings. He hadn't immediately assumed that this quirky, dainty abode was unoccupied, as it looked neat and tidy. Perhaps the residents had only moved out not so long ago. It was unlike Enzo to have gone up to the front door and knocked, but he had been so attracted to the house that he was compelled to do so. If someone were to have answered, he wouldn't have known what to say. He would have stood there in silence for a few minutes before complimenting the occupants for having such an odd but pretty house. But nobody answered and so he had simply laid his hands on the doorknob and twisted it. It surprised him when the doorknob actually rotated. It was unlocked. As he pushed the door open, he worried about trespassing but was soon greeted with the fact that this house was empty. Dead. The interior was bare, give a few decorations along the walls such as wallpapers, mirrors and framed paintings. Apart from those, there were no furniture or household items, no dining table, TV, settee, kitchen equipment, nothing. 
So as soon as he was greeted with his emptiness, he had felt comfortable with exploring the details of the space. This was all very much unlike a teenage Enzo to have found interest in exploring a dead space as he hadn't yet recognized his interest in them. He couldn't understand the beauty of the solitude and boredom about it. He had always sought out more fast-paced activities and so when it came to walking back home or sitting in lectures, his thoughts would always be attached to those other things. Little did he know this would be one of his fondest memories of his teenage years. In the living room, there were three paintings on three sides of the walls. He had stood and studied them for nearly half an hour each. One painting was of a tall building. The view was fixed onto the sun in the center and the building was on the left side, only fitting inside the canvas several floors of the building and the rows of its glass walls. The colors chosen in the painting were surreal. The sun was red and the sky was purple. The reflection on the windows were violet, a lighter shade of the purple sky. The next painting depicted a skyscraper under construction, the scaffolding reaching high, but the scene suggested that the building would never be completed. There it was in the middle of what seemed to be a barren desert, a tall scaffolding structure in the center of it. The colors in this painting too were surreal. Suggestively, it was a night scene with a charcoal-colored sky and the structure was the color of ashes. The sand was smoky and faded towards the charcoal atmosphere, the two colors mingling where they meet. The last painting was of an indoor swimming pool. Rather, it looked like a bare house overcome by a flood of relatively clean water. There were doorways but no doors. Each one led to pitch darkness. The room in which the painting was set had its lights on, a dreary white glow but the fixture was not a part of the painting, only the light. The walls were plain white and the water blue, though the lighting made the colors all seem much drearier than they were meant to be. As soon as Enzo had turned away from this last painting, he wondered why the former residents had left the paintings here. Each piece suggested high value. They could have, though, been painted by the resident himself. Were these paintings haunted, perhaps, or did they simply not want them anymore? It didn't occur to Enzo at the time that he should have taken the paintings back with him. Home wasn't much further away from here, though it would have been a hassle to have carried the heavy framed paintings all the way back. It would have been worth it. The idea hadn't occurred to him. After all, he was a teenager and he couldn't quite grasp his attraction to this sort of beauties. Even if he had taken those paintings back, they wouldn't quite have a suitable place in his room with walls plastered with posters and photos of pop fiction icons of his favorite bands of his times at parties. Crossing the street to get over to the vacant detached house, Enzo continues to recall the many times in his teenage years that he had walked back home from school. Memories of those times are a blur or, or are disproportioned, but this is what makes them precious. In his memories, houses and buildings seemed larger or smaller than they really were, roads were longer or shorter and colors were different. It is strange how the archive of the brain works, how all these images get bundled up together and compressed until they are all pixelized. And some recollections merge with others, become one. Some are displaced but are more vivid than the others. 
As dreamlike as they may appear, some of them are indeed quite vivid, though he cannot tell for sure which are dreams, which are not, or which have been distorted by his own imagination. There is a certain beauty about the disorganization of memories. Even times of sadness seem to have a bittersweet tinge to them, even the time his childhood sweetheart had succumbed to her lifelong illness and passed away. That morning at school, he skipped class, retreated to the empty locker room and sat on the floor in the corner, numb, devoid of tears. For months, he would do this every so often. He would skip a class and sit in the corner of the locker room, and every time he went out into the hallway and it was empty, he would catch a glimpse of her figure walking beside him. But she was never there when he looked. And every time he had sat on the bench in the outdoor park, she would sometimes sit beside him too. He had wondered why he couldn't shed a tear over her, and then months later he understood why. He understood that it was better for her to go rather than for her to live in pain. Doctors had tried everything, given everything they could, but there was no cure. It is likely that if she had lived until now, she would have lived in pain. Looking down at the walkway he is standing on, he realizes that he has strayed far from his studio apartment. This walkway is at least 20 minutes away. He had delved so deep into his thoughts that his own legs have taken him so far away. But since he is already this far, he thinks he might as well go further. He looks on ahead and this time he walks in the present and not the past. He had savored the bittersweet taste of the memory and now he had had enough of the bitterness of it. The lazy three-story building with the sleepy orange lights on the right and across the street is Panorama Motel. He can see the swimming pool in the center and the moonlight reflecting on the surface of the water, wispy ripples of white against the dark water in the night. He stands here and allows himself a short moment to delve back into his memories. He remembers this hotel he had visited once, one of his favorite hotels that isn't located here in this town, Palace Wish. He only came to Palace Wish five years ago and had decided to stay here as soon as he fell in love with it. The time he had stayed at Point View Hotel was when he was in the workforce, slogging daily. He had set an appointment outstation a week prior and so he was to stay in this hotel the day before the appointment. That night, out of nervousness, he couldn't get any rest and so he decided to tour the hotel until his tiredness had overcome his nervousness. When he went down to the main lobby, he had found that the dining hall was empty with the lights off. The twin doors were left wide open, for what reason Enzo could not tell, as it was apparent that the hall was not meant to receive any guest at this time. The door should have been locked. Similar to Enzo's view of Panorama Motel as it is now, there was only moonlight streaming in through the glass walls in the dining hall, and the warm white light from the corridor he was standing in, too, was streaming into the hall. Apart from that, most of the hall was draped in shadows and he could mostly perceive only the contours of its contents. Up in the tall ceiling, he could see the outline of the big fancy chandelier and had briefly entertained the fantastic thought of sitting on the chandelier, looking down at the dark, empty hall. Looking both sides of the corridor, he checked to see if any staff were approaching. But there were none, and so he had simply waltzed through the white open doorway and made his way to the corner furthest from the glass wall where the moonlight was streaming through. He had dragged a chair from one of the tables all the way to where the two walls met and he had sat there. It was over here that he felt he could sleep peacefully but couldn't understand why he didn't want to sleep. 
He still hadn't understand his attraction to these places, and so he couldn't understand admiring them. After sitting in that corner for nearly half an hour, he was close to falling asleep. Of course, he couldn't sleep right here, but he didn't want to head back to his room only to find that he still couldn't sleep yet. So he headed all the way up to the indoor swimming pool. Over here too, the lights were off. In fact, the entire floor had no lights on. The twin doors to the swimming pool were not shut either, and so he had simply wandered into the place and stood at the poolside, looking down into the dark water and at the reflection of the moonlight through the glass wall. Behind him and atop a raised platform were rows of seats in ascending order. He climbed the stairs up to the furthest, highest row and sat there until he was sleepy enough to head back to his room and jump in bed. For the first time in many years that day, he had had a good rest, and the next day, the appointment was a breeze. A long walk later, Enzo ends up in the parking lot outside Daydream Plaza. Some of the lights inside the plaza are still on. He fixes his eyes in that direction as he wanders around the parking lot. There is only one car parked here. Whether the owner of the car is inside the plaza or elsewhere, Enzo cannot tell. For all he knows, the owner probably took a long walk away from here just as Enzo did from home. With his eyes closed, he takes a big whiff of the cold mist-filled air and then casts his gaze to the sky, the endless blackness. Then he casts his gaze back down to the plaza and begins walking towards it. Something in the combinations of things around him and his mood brought him back to a time he had spent nearly a whole hour at a rest stop. It couldn't have been too long ago, perhaps a little more than a decade when he had just quit the workforce and started his own business. At least some of his travels then had been leisurely. In comparison to what it was before in the workforce, his travels used to be mostly work-related. This one time his trip was rather spontaneous. He had a destination in mind and at the end of the eight hours of meandering along the unknown roads and places, he went right back home. But at this rest stop, Enzo filled up his car, parked it outside the empty food court and then sat inside the food court. After 15 minutes of staring up at the ceiling and at the fluorescent lights and at the shutters of closed stalls, he went hunting for somewhere he could get some coffee. That was when he had found the coffee vending machine in a corridor outside the washrooms. He dug around in his pockets and retrieved some coins when he, which he slotted into the machine, only to find out that he will get nothing out of it, not even his own coins back. He shrugged it off and headed back towards the food court where he spent another half an hour stuck in his own head. Now he wishes he had spent a little more attention on the rest stop rather than just thinking about his business. That was all he did that day. While his physical body went meandering about these places, his thoughts was only on his business. Dragging his feet along the gravel road, he digs his hands into his pockets and looks down at how the lights from the lampposts in the parking lot and from the plaza before him cast his shadow into more directions than one. Each shadow is different in size and shade, and as he progresses closer towards the plaza, his shadow gradually transforms. When he is standing outside the entrance into Daydream Plaza, the shadow behind him is the largest and darkest. As the lights in the main walkway are still on and are much brighter than the cold, dark outdoors. 
He rubs his cold hands together, breathes into his palms and shakes his body loose before heading inside and strolling along the walkway, eyeing the off-white walls and floor tiles. It is to do with the combination of his mood, the atmosphere of the night, the look of everything surrounding him, how his thoughts keep going back to the rest stop he had visited all those years ago. Why else would his subconscious go digging out this particular memory? He had been to other places that night, but why that rest stop specifically? Leaning back against the shutter of a closed-down shop lot, he runs his eyes along the walkway one floor above and along the handrails and signboards. From here, most of the signboards are empty. All those shop lots are in unused. There is only the toy shop signboard that can be seen from here, though it should, though it should be closed by now. Why would they stay open this late at night? Firstly, already as it is, children hardly visit Daydream Plaza, given any time of day. And furthermore, there is less a chance that a child would visit it at night. Although this toy shop does not serve only children, indeed Enzo himself had bought a few miniature building toys from that shop, building pieces too intricate to be put together by the average child. In that manner, they do serve mature customers as well. In fact, adults like Enzo may be their primary customers. In order to get a better view of the shop, he tiptoes and sees that it is closed, just as, just as, just as he had assumed. He turns back onto the walkway and heads towards the escalators. He rides it up to the first floor and then roams along the walkways of this floor instead. Some of the shop lots, although vacant, are not closed off by shutters. They are left open, the, ap the emptiness within barren exposed. Anzo stops at one of them and looks inside at the solo column in the center, standing in the blue carpeted floor. The fixtures of the downlight buff have been pulled out, the wires hanging out from the holes in the ceiling panels. Anzo enters this lot, leans back against the column facing towards the glass wall, and slides down to sit on the blue carpeted floor. Through this glass wall, he can see the single car in the parking lot waiting for its owner who may or may never return to it. Two years ago, Enzo had nearly abandoned his own car in the parking lot outside an abandoned restaurant. He had driven the car to get there to linger there for a while, and then he had left on foot. It hadn't occurred to him, as what was meant to be a short walk turned out to be something more meditative that his car had been left there. And the next thing he knew, he was standing outside his apartment. He shrugged it off, headed home, and had himself a good sleep. Days went by. He had been traveling purely on foot and wasn't bothered by it. And then one day, when he remembered his car was still there, he nearly decided to completely abandon it. But as spontaneously as he had left it there that night, he had gone right back on the very same day that he remembered it to pick it back up. It is when Enzo is looking down from over the handrail in the walkway of the fourth floor, the least used level, the pia that piano music started playing from the speakers all around the mall. There is so much space between the speakers and Enzo's ears that you could very well be hearing only the echoes of the song from miles away. Indeed, it could very well have been a song inside his head. Why would whoever is playing the music in whatever control room put it on right now? At least now Enzo can make a better guess as to who owns the car in the parking lot. 
It should be whoever it is playing the music, perhaps the staff, the owner of the mall, or a manager. Does this person know that Enzo is here in this plaza? It must be. In fact, if they are anything like Enzo, they must be happily observing the CCTV screens right now, looking through the security cameras throughout the plaza. Enzo turns around and spots one of the cameras slowly rotating from left to right and right to left, the red light near the lance blinking. When the camera spots Enzo looking at it, it stops moving, and Enzo gives it a slight wave. In its mechanical movements, it actually nods, a robotic up and down motion. And then it continues rotating left to right and vice versa, providing Enzo a sense of security and warmth. It hasn't disturbed Enzo's privacy, funny as it seems. He is aware of the fact that, here in Palace Wish, there are people like Enzo nearly everywhere, lingering in whichever empty space they can find and avoiding direct social contact wherever they can. In that way, he still feels that he is alone right now, alone together with someone else watching out for him but not particularly watching him. It is a sense of security without the disruption of privacy. It is something difficult to achieve anywhere else but in Pella's wish. The piano music continues, sending its sad, bittersweet, distant tones through Enzo's skull while he stares down at nothing from over the handrail. The crackling of the speakers and the echoing of the song brings him back to a time in his twenties when he had taken a well-deserved break from work. He had put extra effort into distressing and that was how he eventually ended up in an art gallery. Although the space of the gallery was smaller in relation to this plaza, the classical music that the speakers in the gallery was playing had a similar sound to the piano music. It had a crackling noise to it, a sound the likes of rain or a campfire. But this version of the sound is metallic, unnatural, artificial but not intentional. A sound reminding those that listen consciously that man-made things are flawed and unnatural by nature that perfection in worldly creations is unachievable. And in understanding this, one can achieve perfect acceptance of imperfection, disorganization, dead urban silence. In that brief moment that the mid-twenty-year-old Anzo was listening to the classical music in the art gallery, he had made contact with that perfect acceptance. But he didn't know how to hold on to it for longer than he can now. While the sad violins whispered their agony into Enzo's ears, he stared at a matchstick sticking out of a round stone, and then he had shaken himself awake and walked out of the art gallery. If he were there right now, he could stay there for the entire day, listening to that song on repeat. When the piano song stops, Enzo walks over to the other end of the walkway and looks down from the handrail over there instead. The piano song repeats. This time the speakers seem to be a little closer to him, though the music is still distant. From here he can see the two pillars with a space of three empty shop lots between either one. The lot closest to the pillar on the right has no shutters to its entrance, an aperture through which Enzo could only perceive a dull red carpet in the deep darkness. Though he has walked past that lot several times to know what is inside. There truly is only a dull red carpeted floor inside not even any glass wall or window. A concrete room with a dull red carpeted floor, that is all. Once he had sat inside there, his back against the bare concrete wall and his knees up to his chest, 
and he had stared down at the red carpet, thinking back about the time he had attended a corporate event. As it turned out, he had left his car headlights on throughout the day, and when it came time for him to head back home late at night, the car was long dead. And since he had been amongst the last to leave the event hall, there was nobody he knew who could help him. In fact, he couldn't find anybody else anywhere. Well, he thought about how he would solve his problem. He sat in a chair with his head in his hands. The floor of the hall was carpeted with red, though a livelier red than the dull one inside the shop lot. The piano music stops again and Suenzo heads towards the escalators and down to the ground floor. The music that plays this time is ambient synth. Not particularly Enzo's favorite type of music, but the kind that he can enjoy, the slow kind. He makes it to the end of the walkway and back to the escalator when the ambient song stops. This is when he heads out of the plaza to bask in the cold night. He knows just where he can end his tonight at, and so he heads in that direction. Through the parking lot, along the walkway pavement under the canopies of trees and dim lights of tall lampposts. Now he is standing outside the wire fence, latching his fingers onto the metal wires and looking at the tennis court. At the back of the tennis court, encompassed by wire fence, there is a gate that can fool one into thinking that it is locked. But Enzo knows, as he has entered through it many times before, that it is not locked. One side of the link that keeps the padlock in place is broken. The padlock is hanging on only one link out of two, and so the gate can swing open with just a low effort push. Enzo does just that, and then pushes the gate back into the frame. The narrow entry is walled between either aisle steps and the ascending rows of green seats. At the end of the entry, he turns onto the aisle stairs to go up to the furthest and highest row of seats, and then slumps onto one of them. Digging his hands deep into his empty pockets, he leans as far back as he can and rests his head back atop the headrest. He eyes the thin silver tin roof and then and the rusty red support beams holding the thin roof panels up. When rainwater falls onto a tin roof, the sound created is louder than most other materials. When Enzo was a teenager, during one of his walks back from school, it had started drizzling and it seemed that it was going to intensify before he could reach home. And so as soon as he had found shelter from the intensifying rain, he had gone to it. It was much like the tennis court here, a row of seats under a tin roof, but this one was a badminton court. It was empty, as it can be presumed that whoever was using it must have headed out as soon as it started drizzling. When Enzo had entered the court, the rain as he had predicted started pouring but he had already made it to the staircase of the aisle by then. Holding his school bag in front of him, he scooted into the first seat at the furthest highest row. Great, he thought, now he's going to bore himself to death over here, waiting for the rain to let up. The rain was crashing down onto the tin and he, had, and he thought he was going to go deaf over it. How full of complaints his teenage brain was. Why couldn't it be as quiet as any other material? Why did it have to rain right now? Why, why, why? He sat there with his chin buried in his palms and his elbows pressed into his backpack on, on his lap. And then he had woken up, his head buried in his arms wrapped around the backrest of the seat in front of him. The rain had stopped, he had internally complained himself to sleep. 
How much energy had he spent screaming all those thoughts into the void within him? He was now hungry but too groggy to complain about anything anymore. He dragged himself out of the seat, slogging his way down the stairs and out of the court. The air was cold and filled with moisture. It had freshened him up along his walk but he had no space in his teenage heart to be grateful for anything. Halfway home, he withdrew his wallet to see if he had any cash to get some grub into his tummy along the way. Three bucks could get him a hot dog from the stall not so far from here. Now that Enzo is decades away from those days, he can see past the internal torments he had casted upon himself as a teen and find some semblance of beauty in those memories. Mostly in the places he had been to, detached as he was during those times, they form beautiful blurry pictures in his memory now. In their most disconnected form, they show him streaks of orange daylight and dust particles dancing at the windows through which sun rays stream. He sees the steps of the staircases he used to tread, the empty classrooms he had lingered inside at the end of school, the rooftops at which he had sat on the edge. During those times he had been there, it is merely a fact that he was not a happy kid, but memory now paints a fonder picture. He sees a small hand reaching up to the sun. It was a time at school when he had grown tired after playing some sports in the field and had laid down on his back. He now reaches his own hand up to the sun but it is the tin roof that he is really reaching towards. Standing up, Enzo wanders down along the staircase onto the tennis court and to the center of it, where he then lies down on his back, stares up at the moon and reaches his hand up towards it. Only now his hand is in alignment with the child's hand in the image. Pain will fade, he tells the child in his brain. Pain will fade if you let it. You let it fade by looking past it and in time it blurs. There is a blessing in forgetting. This is how time heals your wounds. And then when you look back at those scars, it has become a part of who you are. You will be ugly only if you see it that way. Interlocking his fingers behind his head, he closes his eyes and smiles at the moon. Thank you for listening to this episode of Pella's Wish for a Liminal World. We're about two episodes away from the end. So, until next time. <laughs>